I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Here we go. It's Student Nation podcast time. Big, big weekend for Oklahoma football recruiting with the Champion Barbecue. Some softball news came breaking in today. We got true or false. Um, I'm asking the questions this week on true or false. And we're going to tell you our thoughts on Oklahoma's non-conference portion of the 2021 football schedule. What's up, everybody? I'm Matt Hofeld, along with Rich DeCray. This is the Student Nation podcast. But let's start. Um, Rich, let's just start with softball and work away from there. Um, you got four players coming off the national championship team who have entered their names into the transfer portal. That's two pitchers, Olivia Reigns and Brooke Vestal, as well as catcher Kenzie Coltslaw, Coltsall, and then uh, Paige Knight, who's the utility player. I think that the popular name here when you see this is Olivia Reigns because she did get some work this season with Oklahoma. Particularly, she she made an appearance in the World Series in the World Series even the championship series, but um, I mean, this is just kind of business as usual with college athletics now, right? That's the way that it's starting to feel for sure. And we knew that a can of worms was uh, being opened with this transfer portal as it essentially was the free agency at the collegiate realm. More specifically, it didn't matter if you were D1, didn't matter if you were Juco. It seemed as though it opened up a realm of possibilities. And when players aren't getting the work that they thought they would get are unhappy. Um, maybe even it's because of a coaching change that has happened. I know that these some of these Oklahoma pitchers have sat through now their second Oklahoma pitching coach and aren't getting getting the work. So there's a combination of things that seem to be involved for each individual athlete. And they're looking for the best opportunity for them to not only excel on the field, but potentially place themselves at the professional level of their sport, something that they've dedicated numerous hours towards, countless hours towards. And so I can't blame an individual when they begin exploring options. I can't blame an individual for basically opening up a conversation because just because someone ends up in the transfer portal, Matt, we have to remember, it doesn't mean that they're leaving the University of Oklahoma. Does it paint a picture Is there some kind of stigma that's attached to it? Absolutely. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're leaving the university, regardless of which university that is. Well, I think the writing's on the wall here with these four. I I definitely think they're they're leaving, particularly when you look at. No, I don't disagree with that. You know, you look at the positions that they play. All right. So this thing, let's talk about the pitchers, Olivia Reigns, Brooke Vestal. So you, you saw the rise of Nicole May this last season. You got Jordan Ball coming in, who was the number one pitching recruit for the 2021 class. And look, and, and with all due respect, Olivia Reigns had a lot of hype coming in as well, but she just, she was clearly the fourth best pitcher on this team when you considered Juarez and Sell and then what you're getting out of Nicole May. And then you see what's coming in 
Oklahoma announced today, we're, we're recording this on Friday, June 18th, Oklahoma announced just about an hour before we started recording that uh, Hope Troutwin is transferring in from North Texas. And, and that's, that's a big, big deal. And people are, oh, North Texas, you know, Sunbelt Conference. Not, but look, you know what Hope Troutwin's claim to fame is? She's the only pitcher in Division I history to pitch a no-hitter perfect game where she struck out all 21 batters. So it's, it's, I mean, it's, that's her claim to fame and she's coming in to be a part of the staff. And so when you look at what they have in, in Nicole May, you look at what they have in this, in this ball kid that's coming in. And then you look at what's coming in with Hope Troutwain, you, you see, okay, Olivia Reigns is gone. Brooke Vessel's gone. They gave it an effort. They're going to go somewhere else. And then you look at Colesol, the, the catch, the catcher. Well, I mean, you're stacked. Kenzie Hansen, Lindsay Elam. I mean, she's three deep on that, on that part of the depth chart. So I, I, I think like, I agree with what you're saying. Players transfer for different reasons, but this is more, in my opinion, this is more of a, okay, I'm never going to play at this university type transfer. When you look at the positions, the talent that's returning and the talent that's coming in. Man, I don't know if you're asking me a question there are just, just making this statement, but I don't know that we're going to see eye to eye as in terms of why individuals are leaving, why certain players have elected to enter the transfer portal. I don't know that we'll ever see eye to eye on that. And it's because we don't have insider knowledge right. into those reasonings and, and why these individuals are transferring. What I do know, though, about the Oklahoma Sooners softball program and what I do know about Patty Gasso is that she's had a lot of success in bringing, bringing in transfer players who are at the center of the defense. When we look at what she's done with an individual like G. Juarez, when we look at what she's done with an individual like um, Paige, Paige Lowry as well, when we look at what she did with Shannon Sale, these were individuals who Lowry more than any of them had lost their love of the game. And she was able to reinstill that in them so much so that they began to excel and they began to be possibly the best pitchers of their respective seasons, not just on the team, but in the country. I think that's very appealing for individuals who are transferring in. They're saying, look, we look, we, we see all the recognition that Oklahoma gets, but more importantly than that, we see how many times Oklahoma makes the women's college world series makes the women's the 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 ncaa tournament and goes deep into the ncaa tournament we see that and of course that's a big draw i know a lot of people in the football realm want to say lincoln riley's been doing the exact same thing patty gasso is the one who really blazed the trail here though in in taking those transfers and molding them and shaping them and working with the tool set that they've already had available but again making it something that was was worthy of being put into the circle here on this team and actually succeed yeah well and you gave us a great segue into our next segment because of this whole transfer portal thing with uh football softball trey bradford makes it official we talked about him last week on the podcast transfer out of lsu uh was a, a four-star running back out of high school the number 13 running back uh in the nation for the 2020 class uh number 18 prospect overall from the state of texas he is now a part of the university of oklahoma football team he is enrolled he's on campus but um 
I just feel like this is a kid that's, I haven't changed my opinion on him. He's, this is a move for Oklahoma for 2022, not 2021. I, maybe there's a chance for special teams here, Rich, uh, in 2021. But really, I think the meat of what we're going to see in his career is, is going to come in the following spring when everyone gets to see him uh, at the spring game like we did with Eric Gray this season and and then really kind of into that fall. I, I, have you changed your opinion on that? At no, all? not at all. I, I'm in the same boat. I'm on the same side of the fence that you are with this one because we look at what Oklahoma has at the top of this running back room. When you look at the returning player that is, and you're looking at a guy who's coming from Tennessee, you've already mentioned Eric Gray, but we can't forget about Kennedy Brooks and what he's brought to the table in numerous seasons for the Oklahoma Sooners. As the most experienced back in Lincoln Riley's offense, it's very, very difficult for me to say, barring an injury, that we see a third running back option emerge on a consistent basis. And the truth of the matter is there will be a third running back. That's a guarantee. We know that we will see individuals in what a lot of people have deemed mop-up time. We will see individuals get carries. We will see them log yards, and we'll get to see just how these these younger players, not quite as experienced, and more importantly, not the 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 individuals who are going to get the lion's share of the carry. We're going to see how they shake out in a real game situation. So. Matt, I, I fully believe that this is a two-man race at running back position. I believe that either of those, Eric Gray or Kennedy Brooks, could be the starter on any given weekend. I don't expect another name to cement themselves in the two deep until next season. <laughs> well, I think there's some potential there for Marcus Major to kind of play the role that that Seth McGowan did last year after you after you know Ramondre Stevenson came you know you had TJ Pledger in there Seth McGowan in there but I, I do think that this will be heavy on on the two guys you mentioned Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks and I haven't again I haven't changed from spring ball I think this is Eric Gray in, in the front here but I, I still think we see a, a ton of Kennedy Brooks but I still wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Marcus Major, uh, particularly around the goal line, short yardage situations, put that guy in there. Uh, but I, I agree. Beyond that, I think it gets pretty dicey with this running back room, barring injury. Now, we are at the beginning of Champu Barbecue Weekend for the University of Oklahoma. The last, the last list I saw had somewhere around 43 um, recruits coming into Norman. Now, these are guys for both the 2022 and 2021 classes, uh, 2022 and 2023 classes. Um, I, here's what we're going to do, kind of kind of make it fun because there's there, we, we could spend so much time breaking down recruits and talking about the value and the importance and so forth. So I've asked us just to narrow it down to five. Give me your top five recruit prospects this weekend ranked by priority they could be for the 2022 class they could be for the 2023 class but your top five <laughs> ranked by priority we'll start at five and work our way to number one i'm just curious uh -oh. how, how difference we how different we are on this uh, when it comes to ranking these recruits you okay yeah um, i was ready to go one to five We'll just turn it. But turn, man, we, turn can, the list we can do down. it backwards. You kick us off. 
All right, here we go. So I'm going to go number five. Um, Gavin Salchuk is four-star running back from Littleton, Colorado. He's the number two running back in this recruiting class for 2022. Crystal ball predictions have him coming to Oklahoma. That that's why I have him ranked lower at number five and not number one. He's the guy that can be a difference maker in this recruiting class, but also he's a guy that seems to be locked in for Norman as it is. And this weekend could solidify uh, his recruitment and maybe even see a commitment coming sometime soon uh, in the near future after this weekend. I do like the fact that you've put Gavin Salchuk there. I was actually going to go with a, a different individual. I also at the same running uh, running back position there, and it's a Javante Barnes. Why? I think that Oklahoma needs to get running backs. I know that we've got the commitments. Oklahoma being has the commitment out of a Rayleigh Brown. They're looking to add a second running back in this 22 class, and they're looking at adding one of the top running backs from that class, which really leaves us with, with three individuals to consider Gavin Sawchuk, I was would put him a little bit higher up on the list just because of that ranking, just because of what he brings to the table. Uh, you look at size-wise and, and what these kids can do, all of them can add size to their frame. But Javante Brown is a guy that I think may fly a little bit under the radar in comparison to a guy like Sawchuk or a guy like Rayleigh Brown. And he's a guy that I believe Oklahoma can make some inroads with. And I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know that it's going to be Barnes or Sawchuk who commits in addition to Rayleigh Brown, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see one of those two commit at the end of this weekend. Yeah, and you wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't be out of the question for Oklahoma to get both of those guys because don't forget, Rayleigh Brown is coming in as a combo guy. He's a running back who's also mm-hmm. going to play wide receiver. They're going to have a lot of fun with him during his sooner career. Who do, who do you have at number four, Rich? Um, at number four, Matt, I man, I was looking for a, a hard list of individuals, but everything's being tracked through Twitter and I hate trying to sift through Twitter. So tell me this. Okay. Um, one of the biggest names that I know that we have talked about has been Gabriel Brown. Lodendi. is, uh, are his plans to be at the university this weekend? I think I saw him on the list of 43. I can tell you, I can confirm that quickly, but you go ahead and tell me about okay. him why he's on your list. Yeah. Um, the defensive line, for starters is the the centerpiece for this this defense and what we saw was the evolution of the defense because of and i've been really big on saying because matt i i bashed these guys hard when they first came in Uh as defensive linemen more specifically at the defensive tackle position being juco juco transfers i said it was a stopgap and they, these, the two names like Josh Ellison, um, they've been anything but a stopgap for Oklahoma. They've been game changers. And Oklahoma wants to continue that string of dominance in the center of this, this defensive line. I think a guy like Gabriel Brown Lodindi is one of those individuals who is a game changer and will continue the string of success on defense. If Oklahoma and Alex Grinch more specifically stays long term, they're going to look on building upon that success and putting these these names into the NFL to lure higher individuals there. Brownlow Dindy being a five-star recruit, I know that that means there's a lot of individuals, there's a lot of coaches who have been in contact with him, and there's a lot of people who would like to lure his talents to their universities, to their programs, even if it's just for three years. 
I don't know where Oklahoma truly stands with him. I know that there's a warm label attached to Gabriel Brownlow Dindy and Oklahoma. And so I think they do need to make a, an impression upon him more specifically because of the position that he plays combined with the talent that he has. Yeah. And if you remember, right, I had him listed as like the key guy for Oklahoma football. There's like an alarm going off. I'm sorry. I'm in, I'm in Bogota, Colombia, and it's always an alarm going off in, in Bogota, but um, hopefully it's not too distracting. But uh, anyway, he is, um, he's a guy that, that I really kind of had as the key guy for Oklahoma uh, as a part of this recruiting class that he is the central figure because he's such a game changer. He's such a guy that, uh, that Oklahoma is going to have to bring him in and, and really do something as he, he's a Tommy Harris type guy, you know what I'm saying? Where he changes everything you think about your defense just from the one position that he plays rich, go ahead and give me your next guy. And I'm going to mute my microphone and I hope this, uh, hope this siren goes off. Okay. This, I, I really wanted to put this guy at number one, uh, but because he's a 2023 recruit, I am going to go ahead and slide him down ever so slightly because I don't think it's the biggest priority of the weekend. I do think it's a priority, and I want to state that obviously and outright. I do think he's a priority. I just don't think that when you're looking at the 2023 class that it needs to be the top individual. And Matt, that's going to be, be uh, Malachi. I just blanked on the last name there. Uh, is it Malachi Nelson? Cool. We're going to go with Malachi Nelson because that no, sounds sorry. great I'm, I'm, to I'm, me. I'm my, my microphone's muted because of this stinking siren. And yes, you're right. Malachi Nelson. Malachi Nelson being a quarterback. I know that Oklahoma seems to be set there for the future of this position. When you look at Caleb Williams, who hasn't even started a game yet, but has already let the sparks fly in the spring game. When you look at what's currently on the roster and Spencer Rattler, you know that these are individuals Rattler, playing for at least one, one more year, Caleb Williams will take over the reins. So again, I, I think quarterback's a priority. I think Malachi Nelson is the guy that you have to make a big impression with. We know what happened just uh, a couple of years ago. I say a couple of years ago, it was in this past recruiting class when Oklahoma went heavy on one individual and then that individual removed their commitment and Oklahoma without, without wasting any time swooped in to the Caleb Williams situation and ended up getting that commitment from him. So we know what Oklahoma is capable of. We know what Lincoln Riley is capable of when it comes to the quarterback position, more specifically when it comes to recruiting quarterbacks. And so there's no doubt in my mind that he can do that. But when you look at the best of the best right now, that's Malachi Nelson. And if anybody wants to get him, Lincoln Riley has probably one of the best shots in the country. Yeah, and he's 100% on campus this weekend and and 100% Oklahoma's top target at quarterback position for the 2023 class. And I think Oklahoma has, I, I see a, a path with, with Malachi Nelson going very similar. You mentioned Caleb Williams and, and the path of, of, um, of building that relationship and, and that, that just that bond uh, between Lincoln Riley and this quarterback is exactly what we saw out of the relationship with Caleb Williams. And so I think he's a guy that once he commits, he is going to be, um, he's really going to be a, a maybe a, a momentum guy for this recruiting class is going to go out like you saw Caleb Williams, maybe not have the, I mean, Caleb Williams didn't have a hundred percent success, but there was a lot of guys who looked Oklahoma's way because of Caleb Williams. And I think Malachi Nelson has that exact same 
kind of charisma to him. I'm going to give you two names to try to get caught up with you now. Um, my number four guy is Miles Pollard. Now, when you look at the the, the ranking, the three-star, four-star, five-star ranking, he's not right up there with Gavin Salchuk, who's a four-star, who could be a five-star. You mentioned um, Gabriel Brown-Lodendi, who is a five-star. Uh, Miles Pollard is a three-star cornerback. For that reason, he's lower. He's number four on my list, but... When you look at the size and you look at what Alex Grinch is trying to do in the secondary, he's 6'2", he's 185 as a corner. He's what Oklahoma wants and what they're looking for in the secondary. He has no lean at this point. He, there's, there's like five schools that really are, are kind of the flavor of the month with him. Oklahoma is one of those five schools. Michigan's in there. Alabama's in there. Having him on campus this weekend is huge because it could swing him towards one school over the other. But right now, he's just kind of weighing all of his options. And so this is a big weekend for him to come in and see what this is all about, what what the speed D is, what what it is like to the walk on the uh, onto the field at Oklahoma Memorial Stadium. And so this is a where, where a kid is kind of gridlocked, doesn't know where he's going. This is a huge, huge opportunity for Oklahoma. And that's why I've got Miles Pollard on this list. Number three for me is Jake Taylor. And, and I've got another reason why I'll tell you Jake Taylor's number three <laughs> on this list. He's, You're taking my number two right there. Well, he's, he's, he's a lean towards Oklahoma right now out of Bishop Gorman out of Las Vegas, same school as DeMarco Murray. Dude is a mountain of a man, six, six, 290 pounds, offensive tackle, um, this is big for two reasons. The first reason is because just like Gavin Salchuk, this weekend could solidify his commitment to the University of Oklahoma. And we could see that verbal coming any day now following the weekend activities. The second reason, though, is going to come here in just a minute. So give me you, you said you Jake Taylor was your number two. Give me your thoughts on him. Yeah, Jake Taylor is my number two, and it may be for a slightly different reason than just what he brings on the field, Matt, because what we look at with offensive tackles, he seems to be the individual who has who has everything going for him in order to step onto the field and contribute at the University of Oklahoma under Bill Bedenboe. When I look at, at Jake Taylor, though, the one intangible that he has – is that Zion Branch just so happens to play at the same school, same high school as he does. That, that was my number two reason right, right there. <laughs> right. And so we look at these two teammates who are going to be in attendance together. And you can, it, I, I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but it's, it's something you have to feel good about if your teammate commits that you will get the second one to join you. And what, what I'm looking at here is can Oklahoma establish some pipelines out to that Las Vegas area? And this is an opportunity to do that. Yeah, and Zion Branch, four-star safety is who we're talking about, teammate of Jake Taylor. He's actually a lean towards USC at this moment, and, and that's that's who I have at my number two. I mean, he's high up there on the priority list, um, and Jake Taylor could very well be that key. They probably already have chemistry together because of their being them being on the same team, even though they're opposite sides of the, of the ball. But I mean, they're, they're two of the studs on that football team. So clearly they hang in the same circles to have them in Norman together. Jake Taylor could have the opportunity to influence Zion branch and you see Oklahoma maybe creep up there on USC and start getting this uh, safety's attention. I've got Zion branch, my number two guy. So who do you have at number one? 
Number one for me, and this has been a name that I've thrown out on numerous occasions, Matt, for obvious reasons. One, being the number one recruit in the state of Oklahoma, I feel as though Gentry yeah. Williams is a must get for Oklahoma. And it's not just because he's from the state of Oklahoma. It's also because he presents a, a very favorable skill set, a very favorable size at the defensive back position, which is in my opinion, a need for Oklahoma moving forward. So when you look at a guy out of Tulsa, you look at this homegrown talent and you look at the close proximity, I feel as though you should have a good relationship with that individual. You should have a good relationship with their high school coaches and you should be in their ear every chance and every moment that you're given. So Gentry Williams being one of the biggest names, not just in the state of Oklahoma, but also in the country is a guy who's who's planning to be there for Champion Barbecue. He's a guy who was previously committed to the University of Oklahoma, has decommitted and opened things back up. I don't think that's a signifier of anything. I don't think it says that he won't recommit to Oklahoma, but what it does say is that he was willing to explore his options to open back up his recruitment and enjoy that process. And at the end of the day, I still like him at the University of Oklahoma, but this will be that chance for Oklahoma to once again make an impression on him, but for him to also meet potential future, not just a roommate, but, but teammates. Yeah, and we talked about Gentry Williams last week. I think Oklahoma is still very much in on him. I think the Sooners probably have a slight lead when it comes to him. But like you said, he's a kid who wants to open up, just kind of see what his options are and, and take advantage of that recruiting process. And I've said this multiple times. I said it last week. I've said it many times before then. I have no problem with a kid wanting to take full advantage of the opportunity to be recruited. Um, the good news for Oklahoma is that Gentry Williams was actually on campus last weekend for the elite camp that the Sooners did. And so you, you know Oklahoma is still very much a player in his recruitment. I don't have him on my top five at all, though, Rich, but that's not saying he's not belonging or deserving to be there. My number one is four-star defensive end Kenyatta Jackson um, out of Hollywood, Florida, he right now, it's it's kind of a 50-50 toss-up between Clemson and Ohio State, but he's in Norman. He's going to be entertained by this coaching staff. He's going to be shown the royal treatment. You, you see what Oklahoma has done as far as putting defensive talent in the NFL and what really what they're building on with this defensive talent. You put him, um, you know, in that same boat as Gabriel Brown or Dindy, you know, those type of guys that are just complete difference makers on the defensive line. You got to love what Oklahoma is doing with their defensive line, uh, inside guys, outside guys. Um, and this, this is a dude that can come in and really have the opportunity to be, to be wild by this coaching staff and be wild by, by what their, their schemes are and what their plans are. And, and really just kind of see what, what's going on. You know, you're going to have some some NFL draft picks off of this defensive line next next spring. And and what, what happens when Kenyatta Jackson sets down with a Perry on Winfrey? And Perry and Winfrey came in as a as a as a JUCO guy. And 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 Winfrey says to Jackson, look, man, I only had two years here, but here's what they did for me in two years. If you come here for three or four years, imagine what they can do for you. And so getting Oklahoma needs to get in the game with him. And what we're gonna know after this weekend is is it still just Clemson and Ohio State in for Kenyatta Jackson, or can Oklahoma make a play there? And this weekend is really, really huge, and I think that's why he becomes one of the top priority recruits uh, at the Champion Barbecue this weekend. You got any other closing thoughts on hey, this? 
Yeah, one thing I want to throw out there, are you familiar with the name Jaden Rowe? Yeah, yeah. J Jaden Rowe is the commit currently at the University of Oklahoma. He's 6'3", 210 as a corner. I know that the offers are still coming in. And one of the things that Jaden Rowe recently said, as in yesterday, yeah, yesterday, went on record, would have been uh, June 17th, went on record saying, look, my recruitment is still open, even though I'm committed. Is this a guy that we maybe need to put more in, of an emphasis on because of his size, because of how it lends to Alex Grinch's system, because he's big, physical, and athletic? It's kind of the perfect combo when you think about it in the secondary for what Alex Grinch is trying to accomplish. So is this a guy that we're just overlooking as far as this weekend goes, because he's already committed, or is it something that the Sooners probably should put an emphasis on? No, I, I definitely think that he's a kid that's going to have a priority attached to him because some of the comments I saw about Jaden Rowe was just like, look, I, I this whole recruiting process with, with last year, pretty much all of 2020 being a dead period and not being able to get out. One of the things that Jaden Rowe em emphasized was connection to coaches, getting to know these coaches and building a relationship with them and just actually having the opportunity to meet them in person. That, that was big for him. And so I think he's the kind of kid, you know, you've, you've got a really strong lead on him, but the, he's the kid that you want to take in and you don't really want to wow him with the bells and whistles of what the University of Oklahoma is because you've already got him on the, on the hook with that. What you want to do is put him in front of a marker board and do what's called some chalk talk with him and say, look, with a kid of your size and your, your skill set, here's what we could do with you. And, and here's what our plans are. Here's, here's how much muscle we want to put on you. Here's how we see you working out in this secondary. And here's where we think you can get on the field at this time. And those are the kind of things, just the coach talk, getting that, that relationship established is going to be key for a guy like Jaden Rowe. I think, like I said, the last list I saw was 43. And every single one of those guys is going to get that one-on-one -on -one time with their position coach. They're going to get time with Lincoln Riley as well. But some of those guys, they're not ready for that conversation. Some of those guys, like the, some of the ones we just mentioned, they need to be more to see what that locker room is like. They need to be in front of that trophy case. They need to walk out on the field and see their, their face and their image on that massive scoreboard. That's what they need. Jaden Rowe does not need that. Jaden Rowe needs to sit down with the coach and say, explain to me how I belong here. And there's a few other, I think Malachi Nelson, there's a few other guys that fall right in that category. And so that's what makes this weekend so huge for the University of Oklahoma is because you've got this massive emphasis and they're going to have to carve out time for each one of these guys and, and make that time specifically what they need for their recruitment at this phase. And Honestly, Rich, no one in the Big 12 does it better than what Oklahoma does as far as setting these recruits up, and very few in the country do it better than Oklahoma. I will attest to that, not as someone who has been on the receiving side of the recruitment process, but you see a lot of what takes place on social media and you see the reaction, but you also see, Matt, and this is where I think Oklahoma really began to set themselves apart. You see how Oklahoma takes a recruit and begins to create an individual brand for them that really is a springboard into their future. Whether they make it into the NFL or not is beside the point because it has no bearing on the investment that Oklahoma puts 
into you as a player, as an individual, as a recruit, and nothing speaks more to that effect than that individual branding that we've started to see creep up, not just here in Norman, not just in the state of Oklahoma, but at other major programs as well, who are a little bit behind the trends and haven't really created their own thing, but are borrowing what's been successful for other universities. And so right. when you become that trendsetter, when you're on the bleeding edge of what's going on in the realm of recruiting, you're clearly doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I was going to say it's crazy because that kid was a, an assistant for them that they hired on as their, their social media guru. So I mean, diamond in the rough, right? Hey, diamond man, in the rough. Work hard at work hard and apply yourself, and all your dreams can come true, right? <laughs> hey, so that's it for Champion Barbecue. It's, uh, we're going to talk a few more things uh, about that when we get into true or false. And obviously, as things uh, uh, come over the weekend, um, we will do our best to have that updated at heartland-sports.com with some thoughts uh, from the recruits and recaps and so forth. So make sure you check us out there. We're going to move on to true or false. It's my turn to ask the questions. And uh, we I'm just going to tell you, Rich, we're not finished with recruiting yet. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So here we go. True or false? Uh, my turn to be in the driver's seat. Richard's turn to be in the hot seat. And we're going to jump in here. This comes from Ryan Murphy on Twitter. You can always follow us on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. And uh, if you want, if you want ideas, questions, suggestions, snide remarks, you can throw those our way through the Twitter. Ryan says this, Rich. True or false? Oh, you will get three verbals this weekend from Champion Bar- Barbecue. It's not out of the realm of possibilities, so I'm going to go true. And if we were setting an over-under, I think that's probably a pretty good mark to set it at four. I know that Oklahoma, it seems like, and I could have just made this number up, but it seems like in the past, they've been able to get seven seven commitments out of a weekend like this. Sure, it doesn't happen immediately, but it happens within the, the next two to three weeks that these commitments slowly begin to trickle out and these these players, of course, I expect this from the university. I don't necessarily expect this from those guys who make a living following recruiting. It's to give these the recruits the opportunity to announce it themselves. And so the steps and the preparation that they take in order to make it a big deal, I, I am all 100% on board in giving them that several weeks to prepare something instead of just announcing it immediately following a weekend like this. What we know though, Matt, is that this number of recruits that will be on campus is is one of the highest, if not the highest all time 
at the University of Oklahoma. In fact, people are starting to question, is it too many recruits? When you hit that 40 to 50 mark, do you have too many individuals on campus to actually pay them attention and give them proper time to hash things out, not just mentally, but verbally with them, whether that's with a position coach, whether that's with the head coach, whether that's with the coordinators, it doesn't matter who it is. When we look at, at these recruits and the number that are coming in, three, like I said, I feel like is a good over under if we were setting that at four, but I wouldn't be surprised if it went above that. So true. Yeah. You know what, what, uh, what really makes this weekend so great is that, um, is the food. Well, the food. Yeah. I'm sure the, it's the barbecue, <laughs> right? Of course, Lincoln Riley got roasted for his barbecue, uh, Twitter pick a, a while back. Oh, but, people are, people but, are just being, being people. But I, I, you, you go, you go to like, you mentioned Twitter, but you look at the former players, you look at Baker Mayfield, you look at Gabe Eichard, you look at uh, Joe Mixon, you look at all these guys who are just kind of weighing in. It's not just coaches. It's not just Kel Gundy. It's not just Roy Manning. It's not just Lincoln Riley. Like the university, the, the alumni, even the softball players are, are tweeting about this weekend. And it is really becoming a, a phenomenon for in the recruiting world, not just for the University of Oklahoma, but I'm talking about across the, the recruiting landscape. This is one of the biggest events that recruits get invited to. And it's one of the biggest events that recruits want to get invited to. And so are we going to come out of this weekend with commitments? Absolutely. Is it going to be three or four or 20? Who knows? But I do think, I, I agree with you. I think three is a good number. I think there's already been uh, a, at least one commitment that hasn't been announced by the, by the prospects. But when, when you look at, um, when you just look at some of the comments that have been made by some of the coaching staff and some of the other, some of the players that the current players, I, I think there is at least one commitment already that's come in. Um, but he, here's where it becomes difficult for me to answer this question as because our man Ryan says the way he says it is, is it going to happen this weekend that the three verbals this weekend. So mm -hmm. that could, some of those commitments could come like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of next week. So does that still count or does it have to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday? So I'm, I'm glad you got the question and, and not me. Um, but here's, here's another, here's a follow-up to this question, Rich, for your second true or false question is everyone that does make a verbal commitment this weekend, they will actually stick to that commitment and play for the University of Oklahoma. The silence <laughs> tells you everything that you need to know. And I would love to say yes to this, but I know that it's a wild, wild world and anything can happen at any given moment. Players and coaches may agree on the surface and then the situation changes. I know that academics play into that as well. I'm going to go ahead and say, say false on this one. Wow. There are some big names. There are some big names, Matt. There are some individuals that Oklahoma is clearly putting a priority on. And I think there's there is a tendency to get caught up in the moment. And when you get caught up in the moment and you let emotions take over, it's easy to say yes. But after some time to digest what's happened and to verbalize what's happened with maybe a parent or maybe a, a close friend of yours who's going through the same process, you begin to hear out loud that mm, it really, it, it was a good weekend, but it wasn't a good fit for you. And so I do, I do believe that there will be commitments. I do believe some big names will come out and commit, but we got to remember this is a long process mm -hmm. with a lot of individuals yeah. who 
when, when I say individuals, I mean universities and coaching staffs who are still going to have an impact and there are still big weekends that, that are coming at other programs. So yes, there will be commitments. Will they all play in the crimson and cream? I, I can't, I can't confidently say yes or true to that one. So I have to go with a false. Okay. Well, that's fair enough on that one. And I, I don't know that I can actually disagree with you. We're going to stick with football. But we're going to change the tune just a little bit. Okay. So follow me on this. Uh, when you look at the big 12 uh, landscape in 2021, you've got Max, not, not in any particular order, but you got Max Dugan, Skylar Thompson, Jared Daigie, Spencer Sanders, Brock Purdy and Spencer Rattler all returning as solidified starters for their respective teams at the quarterback position. True or false? Spencer Rattler is hands down the best returning quarterback in the Big 12 for 2021. Uh, which set of games are we talking about? <laughs> the whole body of work, Matt, I, I'm teasing. They're, the only name that I think could rival a guy like Spencer Rattler is Brock Purdy. And it's more so because of his experience where Spencer Rattler sets himself apart is with, with his athleticism. And we've seen him do things that are, are extremely difficult and make them look easy. A lot of that is due in part because of that athleticism. So when we come into the season, the answer is true for me, by the way, when we come into this upcoming season, Spencer Rattler is hands down the best returning quarterback in the big 12. And I don't even think it's close. Wow. I, I mean, I, I don't, yeah. I mean, here's, here's you, where you, you got me with, I don't even think it's close because you look at, here's, go ahead. I'd say, here's where I think you're going to stumble. That is because when we were heading into last season, we were saying Brock Purdy was the most NFL ready quarterback right. in the big 12 and his arm shows that he is more of a pocket passer. He's not the mobile going to make things happen with his feet and extend plays and then be able to throw on the run like a guy like Spencer Rattler. There are a lot of intangibles that exist in Spencer Rattler that I just don't see in Brock Purdy. And that's not to say Purdy isn't a good quarterback. It's not to say that his name won't be up there as one of the best in the country at the end of the season, but it's to say that there's one who clearly has more going for him heading into the year than the other one does. And that's Spencer Rattler for me. And I agree with that, Rich. I agree with that uh, across the board. And, and when you look at who, which of these quarterbacks that I mentioned has the most upside, it's Spencer Rattler. Uh, who, who has the most pedigree to them? You know, I think it's Spencer Rattler. Which one of these quarterbacks has won a Big 12 championship? It's Spencer Rattler. And so maybe in, in, in a large portion, even after just one season, Spencer Rattler is the most accomplished quarterback returning to play in the Big 12 this season. But I, I would take him ahead of Brock Purdy. I, I'm not, I'm not disparaging or disagreeing with that at all. But what I am saying is it's, I think it's closer with Brock Purdy and Spencer Rattler than what some people may want to give credit to. If, if you put Brock Purdy, Purdy in this Oklahoma offense, does it hum to the same tune that Spencer Rattler would make it hum? Probably not. But does it hum? Yes, it hums better than what's going to happen in Ames, Iowa. Um, and that's well, not a knock against the Cyclones and, and Brees Hall and, 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 and so forth. It's just, I, I just, Oklahoma hands down offensively is the better talented of the two. And Spencer Rattler is the better talented of the two quarterbacks. But just based on pure talent, there's not, there's not a big gap between Rattler and Purdy in my mind. And what we can say, Matt, about this, and the reason that the Oklahoma offense would hum, whether it was Purdy 
in this system or whether it was Rattler is because Lincoln Riley is excellent about catering the offense right. to what the, what the quarterback is capable of. He's not asking them to do anything that's outside of their wheelhouse. Is he asking them to grow? Is he stretching them? Absolutely. But it's things that are already in their wheelhouse that they just need to believe in themselves on. And so when we look at a guy like Brock Purdy, the offense would look much different, but it would still be a very successful offense rather than if Spencer Rattler was inserted into the equation. So I don't know that that's a fair comparison for me because when we look at Matt Campbell, he's more of a defensive minded coach and where we begin to see the stars with him is on the defensive side of the ball. When we begin to see the progression of that program, a lot of it's because of what the defense has done. And that's no slight to a guy like Brock Purdy. It's no slight to the tight ends or the running backs that Iowa state has had over the past several years either. It's just saying that they don't have an offensive mind like a Lincoln Riley. No, I agree with that. Um, let's let's move on, and we're gonna we're gonna just move back to the softball diamond for for just a little bit and talk about pitching, and talk about Oklahoma for 2022. So here's the question: True or false? The addition of Hope Troutwin, along with Nicole May and incoming freshman Jordan Ball, paved the way for a Sooner repeat in 2022. A repeat of what? Of everything, Big 12 championship, oh. national championship, just we're going to, because you know, you've got this offense. I mean, this offense is only uh-huh. going to get better. I, that You asked me that question last week. I think that they chase the records next year that they set this year. Uh, this offense, in my opinion, will be better in 2022. But when you, you add a, a, a grad transfer senior, you got Nicole May a year older, and then you, you, you put in there the number one pitching prospect and the number one overall prospect in the nation in the circle for Oklahoma. They're set for a repeat. Mm. Man, I, I'm really struggling to answer, answer that question. And the reason is this. Let me give you my reasoning before giving you my answer. I do expect, <laughs> and, and maybe you disagree with this, but I do expect Nicole May to be the starter next year. Okay. Agree or disagree? No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. I expect Hope Trotwine to come along in this program, and I expect her to be utilized consistently as well, but I don't expect her to be the starter as we, we head into the postseason. What Nicole May showed us, Matt gives me a lot of hope for the future, but I am still curious to know what is she going to do and what she going to look like when she takes over the role of the full-time starter from a G Juarez and from Shannon sale, because there weren't a whole lot of options that presented themselves outside of Olivia Reigns, who is now in the transfer portal. And we're expecting her to leave the program and to search for these greener pastures as they've been called. So when Nicole May steps into the circle, there's a lot of promise there. I need her to make good on it. And I'm going to go with false because of that reason. I've been a huge proponent of consistency. And I've, I've preached that word over and over and over on this podcast, Matt. And what I didn't see in the postseason was that level of consistency from Nicole May. But I also have to give her credit because the level of competition was being ratcheted up. She stepped in and remained confident. She remained cool and collected in each delivery, but her pitches didn't have enough what do they say? Mustard (laughs) on, on it to get by some of these, some of these batters. 
And rightfully so, because she was a true freshman. She's not, she's not a Paige Parker, and I'm not expecting her to be, but I'm expecting her to be a quality number one option, option heading into next year. I just don't know that it's worthy of the, the Women's College World Series with some of the names that are still out there. Well, I mean, keep in mind that when you look at this pitching staff for Oklahoma in 2021, clearly at the end of the season, in, in the championship series and, and in the World Series in general, Giselle Juarez was the best of the three pitchers in that moment. But when you go back to even to the as, as far back or as soon, as, if you will, as the regional, Nicole May was a stud in the regional. And th there were times when you look at the three pitchers and you thought, you know what? Shannon Sell is the best pitcher on the staff. You look at the World Series, you're like, Giselle Juarez, best pitcher on the staff. And Rich, there were even times where you would say, you would think, Nicole May is the best pitcher on this staff. So she showed a lot of promise mm -hmm. in, in 2021. She did. And she's only going to get better in 2022. And then you, oh, you, you add to that, like I said, a fifth-year senior who, by the way, is the only softball player in the history of the world and division one to record a perfect complete shutout game in which she struck out all 21 batters. So I, I, with this is probably one where we're going to have to agree to disagree, but I definitely, okay. And respect okay. Let, let, let me throw this into the equation for you. Okay. There's this name. And when we talk about pitching, there was a lot that was placed upon the shoulders of Montana Fouts right. at Alabama. Alabama never seemed to get their offense going. And so all of the pressure relied upon her to get them from game to game. And she threw the perfect game. Mm -hmm. Granted, it didn't have strikeouts, the, the number of strikeouts, but she threw a perfect game at the Women's College World Series. She's not even a senior this year. And so when I'm looking at teams that I expect to be number one heading into next year, Alabama's the one that jumps off the page for me. I'm not saying that Oklahoma can't compete, but in a best of two or a best of three series, I don't know that anyone beats Alabama next year. You know, but here's the thing, and, and you said it yourself, Rich, <laughs> is, that, is that Montana Fouts did wasn't backed up by an offense, particularly mm -hmm. the offense that Oklahoma's offense is going to be the top offense in the country next right. year. And what, what knocked Alabama out? Oh, yeah, it was Florida State's offense that wasn't even as good as Oklahoma's. So well, I think we could argue around this, you know, for a long time. But, I, again, this is one we're just going to have to agree to disagree on. Um, but I definitely think that, that Oklahoma's pitching staff, is it going to be as good as what we saw in 2021? I don't think so. I'm not saying that. But is it going to be good enough for Oklahoma to run the Big 12 and, and make it to Oklahoma City and win the championship again? I, I do because – Again, where this pitching staff may not be as good as what we saw in 21, the offense should be better than what we saw in 21. And what we saw in 21 was pretty dang incredible. Um, let's move on to our last one. We're jumping back into football. We're jumping back into recruiting. And this is the last true or false question. Um, a little bit of background on this. We, we covered this on the podcast. We covered it at the website. Jordan Hudson, who was a one-time receiver commit to the University of Oklahoma. Last week, he decommitted, opened back up his recruiting, and now it appears to be that this kid is a lock to go play college football, not for Alabama, not for Clemson, not for Ohio State. Jordan Hudson seems to be a lock to go play his college football days for SMU. True or false, that is the biggest head scratcher in recruiting in a long, long time. 
Man, I, I'm going to go with true on that one. Um, Matt, we're sure that he's going to SMU. He hasn't committed yet, Rich. I mean, okay. he hasn't made a commitment, but if you look at the crystal ball predictions, you mm-hmm. look at what the momentum is on Twitter when people are saying about him, it, it looks like he's going to SMU. I guess more power to you if you want to submit yourself as an individual who helped bring a program back to power. I don't know that SMU has the rest of the talent to do that, but they'll at least have, have one individual. Yeah, Matt, I'm completely confused by that. I, I, it's not a big deal to me to decommit, to open things back up for obvious reasons and reasons that we've already stated here in the past. Oklahoma seems to be pulling in receivers left and right. What we need from Oklahoma and what we need is is not just a plethora of guys to fill up a locker room, but we need guys who are actually going to contribute and guys who are willing to come in and compete. And I'm not saying that Hudson isn't, but it seems as though backing off of that commitment from Oklahoma and beginning to look elsewhere may, may imply that to some degree. And when I look at a guy like Hudson and I look at SMU, I was thinking more, more along the lines of landing in Austin with the Texas Longhorns rather than, than landing at SMU, especially given the, the comparisons that uh, Jordan Hudson has drawn. I mean, all the comparisons say CD lamb, why not follow in his footsteps? Why not go to the same university or go to a competing university and say, look, here's the thing is, as I know what the comparisons say, but I'm going to be better than you were. And I'm going to do it at your rival university. I I see no issues with that either. Two two things that that I think Jordan Hudson are going to go down uh, that are going to be memorable about his recruitment. The first thing is this guy, you know, these, these kids, when they they decide to make, and it's fun. Some of them are kind of corny, but for the most part, it's fun. When they decide to make their, their commitment of their decision, they do these edits, you know, they do all these edits Mm -hmm. on, and it comes out and they do videos and so forth. Jordan Hudson actually did an edit for his decommitment from the university of Oklahoma. And you can go to heartland-sports.com. You can look up, you can search Jordan Hudson in the bar. And we've got that edit uh, because we wrote an article about it and you you don't have to look very far to find it. But so number one, he's the first kid I've ever seen make an edit about a decommitment, but in said edit, in this edit, he's doing the horns down. So you kind of know he's not going to Texas because he's, (laughs) he's doing the horns down. He's decommitting from Oklahoma, but he's doing the horns down. That, that's going to be, the, the, for me, one of the most memorable things about Jordan Hudson's recruitment. The, the second thing is just how fast the momentum swung away from Norman, Oklahoma, to the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. Because just in the last week alone, Rich, 24-7 Sports has had six crystal ball predictions come in for Jordan Hudson. And all six of them point towards SMU. And, and to me, here's what it comes down to. You mentioned it, level of competition, guys on the depth chart in front of him. This guy can go to SMU and he can be a star. He can be the guy. And, and he's thinking big picture. He's thinking NFL. He's thinking dollars. He's thinking about his family and understanding that he'll never sniff a college football playoff. He'll never sniff a, a, a national championship, but he's going to make a lot of money if he lives up to his potential uh, at the collegiate level by playing for SMU. But <laughs> right. it, is a, it is a big head scratcher for me. All right, that's going to wrap it up for true or false. We do have a few more thoughts on Oklahoma football. We're going to move to the 2021 season and give you our thoughts on the non-conference portion of Oklahoma's schedule.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you look at Oklahoma's non-conference schedule, Rich, it's 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 not really something for me that just kind of makes me stand up and be, yeah, yeah I'm excited. Uh, I am excited because it's football, but here's how Oklahoma's non-conference schedule breaks down for 2021. Three consecutive weeks, September 4th, the Oklahoma opens up the season in New Orleans uh, at Tulane. September 11th, they host Western Carolina, and then September 18th is the big matchup, and I'm using air quotes there. You can't see me, but the big matchup against Nebraska. Um, I think we can just start this conversation by saying it's absolutely embarrassing that Western Carolina is on this schedule, right? Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, look, I I say this when Kansas State does it. I say it when Baylor does it. I say it when whoever, Oklahoma State does it. So I got to say when the University of Oklahoma does it. I mean, to to have Western Carolina, to be a a program of this level, a program that's going to compete for another Big 12 championship, a program that's going to be a front runner to make an appearance in the college football playoff, to have a team like Western Carolina, you learn this is worse than Missouri State. I mean, it's, it's on that same par. Maybe it's a little bit step up from Missouri State last year. But at least last year, you could have said, yeah, COVID, you know, we can't play anybody because nobody wants to come out of conference. Missouri State's right there in Springfield. So you can almost make an argument, but still, Rich, I mean, Oklahoma, in my opinion, you're not going to find a bigger fan than me. But in my opinion, this program's better than having Western Carolina on its schedule. No, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And I know a lot of times what we end up looking at Matt is these cupcake games, if you will. And we tend to poke fun at a lot of universities, more specifically the SEC, when they're playing these types of games mid-season. And so to see that on this roster, I I don't know uh, what happened. I don't know where the scheduling went. I don't know if there's a different mindset when it pertains to the, the college football playoff and thinking if you take a loss in the uh, non-conference portion of the schedule, how far of a setback that is. And so let's just schedule some easier some easier opponents. I don't know where the mindset came from t- for this team to actually end up on this schedule. That's all I'm saying. Well, you talked about running backs, okay, and, and how many of them will and won't make appearances uh, in 2021. <laughs> Every single one of them will play in this yes. game. Caleb Williams will play more snaps most likely than Spencer Rattler in this game. You will see a lot of guys. You'll see the whole team out there uh, in this game, or, or at least you should. So that, that leads us either Tulane or Nebraska. Uh, when you're looking at these two games, you start the season, Tulane, September 4th, uh, Nebraska, the, the anniversary of the game of the century, September 18th. Which one of these two, Rich, it, for you is must-see TV? <laughs> Uh, Matt, it's obviously going to be Nebraska. I think there are some arguments that can be made for Tulane simply because it is a road game. Oklahoma hasn't opened up the season on the road um, in quite some time. That is the first game of the season, unless I'm mistaken, correct? No, you're right. It's the first game of the season. Okay. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking it was the second uh, because of the progression of how we went with 
one and this is two Tulane and, and three being Nebraska but yeah opening up the season on the road I know that there are some bad memories for some individuals when Oklahoma has opened up the game even on a neutral site a lot of you will remember BYU I hate to bring that memory up but there it is it's out there and so I think there are some reasons to be intrigued by this Tulane program by playing on the road for the first one out of the gate. I'm not really having a tune-up before going to a hostile environment. Um, so I, again, I think there's some interest there, but of course, because of the historical references that will lead us into Oklahoma versus Nebraska, knowing that these were two, two major players on the national scene, especially in the early 2000s. And, and I know a little bit further back when we look at Oklahoma in the 80s under Barry Switzer, but needless to say, you're looking at two historic programs, two programs who have shown that they can win on a consistent basis. Nebraska leaves the conference and everybody remembers the final game that Oklahoma Nebraska played was for the big 12 championship. Now getting these two teams back together, there is whether people want it to be good or good or not, Matt, the truth is, is that Nebraska is not a good team. I don't know any other way to put that than to say Nebraska is not a good team. And they've been on a decline for quite some time, almost since joining the big 10. I don't know if it was the brand of football that was being played there at the time and trying to reinvent themselves to fit that kind of a mold or what was truly going on. But again, Nebraska hasn't been the Nebraska of old. And if they were, this would be one of the most intriguing matchups in a country, but unfortunately it's not. Right. It's still Which, the headliner. It's still no, the headliner. But see, it's not to me, Rich. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm more excited about Tulane than I am Nebraska. And, and here's the reason why. I, I get it. I, I get the rivalry, okay? But you, you mentioned it. It's 2010 was the last time these two teams played against each other. Big 12 championship. But even before that, the, the nostalgia of this rivalry between Oklahoma and Nebraska was removed by the Big 12 conference, only letting them play each other every two years. You know, you had mm -hmm. two years on, two years off, unless the two teams made it to the Big 12 championship game. So that, that rivalry began to lose some of its luster uh, in the formation of the Big 12 started in 1996, all right? So you were like, what, 11 years old in 1996? And so you you no, have not to, even. <laughs> say, well, that's, that's exactly my, the point I'm making. And so for, there, there, is, there is nostalgia. There is the history of the rivalry. But you mentioned it, Rich. This is a bad Nebraska team. They lost the McCaffrey kid at quarterback. We, we already know that Nebraska tried to duck out of this game. They tried to find a way to, to – I mean, and you and I talked about it on this very mm -hmm. podcast that Nebraska had already lost this game because mentally they were trying to get out of it. I mean, they're trying not to come to Norman, not to play this game. And so – if, if Nebraska was even a runner up in the big 10, I mean, and not, and not from the sense of, of being the loser of the big 10 championship game, but if they were just knocking on the door of making the big 10 championship game, that would make this game so much more than what it's actually going to be. But this is a, what's, what's a, a stout Oklahoma football team. That's going to play a very underwhelming undermanned Nebraska football team. And it shouldn't be close. I mean, it may be the first quarter you got like a 14 to seven score, but then by the time, 
time you hit that last 10 minutes of the game, again, you're probably going to see some reserve guys on the field for the University of Oklahoma. And so there's not a lot of intrigue here in this game when, for me when it comes to looking forward because it's three weeks into the season. What, I'm, what I want to know is what is Eric Gray going to look like in the Oklahoma uniform when the lights come on and everything is for real? What, what I want to know is how big of a step is Marvin Mims making from season one to season two? What, what I want to know is, is, you know, how healthy is Austin Stogner uh, coming back from that leg injury he had last year? And what I want to know is this defensive secondary, are they better without Buki? And you got, you got the grad transfers coming in or the, the Tennessee volunteer transfers coming in. You know, there's all there. I mean, Wanya Morris, I mean, how dominant is he going to be uh, for this football team? You got all these questions about Oklahoma football, and you get to see them on the road. Are they a better team than Tulane? hundred percent. They're a better team than Tulane, but they're playing Tulane on the road in new Orleans. It is a road game to start the season. It's got all those challenges that a road game has to it. And then all these questions that we're going to have coming into the season, we're going to get to see them begin to be answered in that first game. And then we're going to learn nothing against Western Carolina, but ask you when you get to Nebraska, which will be the second 11 a.m. kickoff in three weeks, by the way. When you get to Nebraska, you pretty much have an understanding of who this football team is, and you're looking forward to Big 12 play, whereas when you're looking at Tulane, man, you're just looking forward to the season starting. So you said at the onset, you can make an argument for Tulane. I'm making that argument for Tulane. To me, that's the better <laughs> of the two games when you, when you talk about must-see TV uh, in this football program uh, to start the 2021 football season. Tell me I'm crazy. I don't think you're crazy for that. And the only thing, Matt, that I, I feel like we can really discuss here is how disappointed people will be with the 11 a.m. kickoffs. I mean, it's, it's a part of life. I mean, it, that's, that's when, when, you, when you saw, I mean, you knew when, when Fox picked up this game, you knew it was going to be an 11 a.m. kickoff because that's what Fox does. That's their prime time, so to speak. They give everything else like the Pac-12 uh, out, you know, out west. When you saw the Fox pick up this game, you knew it was going to be 11 a.m. And, and that's just the way it goes. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can change about it. It's life as an Oklahoma football fan. You and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, maybe even a month or so ago on the podcast. I, I think the hate for 11 a.m. kickoffs is overrated. I'm planning on being in attendance for this Nebraska game. This game is going to end around 2.30 in the afternoon. I'm going to get home. I'm going to have dinner, and I'm going to catch the full lineup of evening games for, for college football. I'm going to have our recaps and our postgame stuff done in a, in a, in a, in a, a decent hour where I can go to bed and not fret, you know, Sunday, waking uh -huh. up tired. So I, I got no problem with it, but it's, it's television, it's contract. And, and we got it. People gripe and I get it, but you're, you and I talked about this last week when you're talking about expanding the college football playoff, if you expand it, which I hope they do, you're still going to have people griping and complaining. It doesn't matter who you're, what conference you're in, who you're contractually obligated for, for television, there's going to be gripes and complaints, but the, at the end of the day, this is a game that's going to be broadcast nationally and it probably doesn't deserve it. I mean, when you talk about Oklahoma, <laughs> Nebraska, it probably doesn't deserve a national broadcast. This is going and to so be, there is, 
I mean, look, that's, this is going to be on par for like when Oklahoma plays, um, the Oklahoma plays West Virginia, Oklahoma plays Kansas State. I mean, it, probably West Virginia and Kansas State are better teams than what Nebraska is. So, I mean, just be glad you're getting that exposure. It's going to be good exposure for Spencer Rattler because Fox is doing his prime day kickoff or whatever they call their thing, uh, that their rivals college game day. They're doing it from Norman. So there's going to be a lot of publicity around this game. But again, at the end of the day, it probably doesn't deserve a national audience. That's the truth of the matter. And if we were going to take anything away from the 11 a.m. kickoffs, it's exactly what you've already stated and that these will be nationally broadcast the games that probably shouldn't be. So when Oklahoma is put to the eye test, it will already be there. We can't make the argument that it didn't exist and that Oklahoma was or, or wasn't deserving of where they were ranked. No, here you, you, that's uh, all. That's yeah. all. Yeah, you're spot on. And again, it's going to be, you know, it's the third week of the season. So you're going to have some good publicity three weeks into the season because you know you're not getting a lot of hype the week before when you play Western Carolina. You know, you, so I mean, you got that going for you. And if Spencer Rattler is going to be a Heisman candidate, there's going to be a lot of talk around this game. So it could be a good opportunity for this team, both in the polls and then personally with individual players. Um, so all that said, hey, let's have fun. At least it's going to be football season again, right? That's right. That's right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You can catch us online. Uh, at heartland-sports.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. We'd love to hear your thoughts and comments uh, on the podcast or other things that we post. Uh, you can find us pretty much every day talking about Oklahoma Sooners, this and that. And uh, we'd love to get you to subscribe to the Sooner Nation podcast. Wherever you find podcasts, we're there. And uh, give us that subscription. And hey, if you're in a good mood, give us a great rating as well. Uh, until then, have a fantastic weekend, everybody. And Boomer Sooner. <laughs>